Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Good evening and welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines that I call USA Inc. It's a Monday evening, just about two minutes after 6 o'clock p.m. for those on the East Coast. Hope that my voice finds you safe and sound wherever you may be on this planet listening to this broadcast either now or later on the podcast. Today's day is October the 1st, 2018. And I tell you, man, I don't know if it's a once you get over 50 thing or not, but time just be going by too fast, man. I tell you, um, we only got two more months left in this year and then it'll be 2019. So got a very, um, interesting well I think it's an interesting topic others may not share my opinion but it's interesting to me and I hope that it's interesting to you but most of all I hope that it is a constructive topic Uh, for those who have seen the headline for uh, my promo for tonight's show I'm going to host a discussion on denialism concerning slavery past and concerning slavery present in the USA, uh, especially so considering Kanye West's recent comments about the 13th Amendment, never abolishing slavery, and just a curious backlash that he got uh, for making a statement of fact. I mean, before I dog somebody out or try to um, contest what they're saying, I should at least do a little bit of research. And so all a person would have to do is Google 13th Amendment. Read the text of the 13th Amendment. Hopefully you have a good reading comprehension, at least a 12th grade. I would even say an 8th grade reading comprehension. Read the 13th Amendment. Know the definition of the word except. And then, I mean, there's no argument. It's right there in plain English, as they say. So we're we're going, after uh, we talk to our guests, um, we will transition and talk about this backlash against Kanye West, who apparently is a new abolitionist, okay? And I I just really don't understand. Well, I kind of do understand. Uh, We live in a very polarizing society, Kanye West himself has said some polarizing things, but as 
you know, I was reminded by looking at a quote today of Malcolm X, don't shoot the messenger. You know, I'm for the truth, no matter who tell it. So if Donald Trump was to come on the TV and tell you a truth, why would you deny it based just based off of who's telling you that truth? Do the research to see if this person is being truthful or not. And the message should stand on its own, regardless of the messenger. All right. So again, you know, I'm just I'm actually happy that people are talking about the 13th Amendment over the past uh, 48 hours. Um, but let me give you a description of tonight's program. And by the way, please continue to support the efforts of our nonprofit new media organization based here in North Carolina. That's the Black Talk Media Project which is the manager of Black Talk Radio Network, as well as our very own social media community called btrcommunity.com. It has a $24 per year subscription. And some people might be like, well, Facebook's free, Twitter's free. Yeah, uh, they free, meaning that you don't have any paid subscriptions, but that data mining that they do with your personal information and sell it to advertisers yeah, that's how you're paying for it. But anyway, this is how we try to maintain our independence. And of course, you can always make a monetary uh, donation. Just visit the website. You'll see um, some, some, um, some, some, um, what is, what's the word I'm looking for? Some graphics, some graphics that link to our PayPal account. So tonight, I, as I stated, I want to discuss First of all, there's certain element among people who are largely self-identifying as black or African-Americans who among them, there is a small group engaged in pushing a conspiracy theory that black Americans or African-Americans, uh, people use those terms interchangeably, and but pushing that we have no historical connection to Africa. And part of their argument um, is based it's also pushing, when I mention a conspiracy theory, this theory that the transatlantic slave trade is one big hoax and that millions of Africans were not transported to different parts of the world to be enslaved. They're saying that never happened. And I mean, they actually use some pretty, I would say, illogical reasoning to come to that conclusion. Um, now, on the flip side of that, there are also those who acknowledge the transatlantic slave trade, but they are seeking to erase the role of specific African nations and tribes, their role in facilitating the largest event of human trafficking in human history. Now, all of this, you know, the reason that we're examining this, let me state this, this isn't to point fingers at anyone and and make fun of them to ridicule them but this is information that is gaining traction I don't know how long these theories have been out there different groups are saying it um, you know but this isn't to pick fights with them this isn't to ridicule them or to name call them call them dumb or stupid no it's just to examine what's being said, what are some of the reasons that they might be saying it, and I suspect everybody doesn't have the same reason for pushing this notion 
or for believing this. Some may not even believe it and just pushing it as uh, Brother Olsay, who who is our guest tonight, uh, has talked about in his article. Now, if you haven't read his article, uh, he publishes a blog on 21st Century Race Man, and we link to that article. The title of that article is What Should We black victims of racism slash white supremacy call ourselves under current conditions does it really matter what you call yourself and i would have to say no <laughs> you know because i've talked about this in the past i was like it doesn't matter what you call yourself it's what the people oppressing you call you and we know they got some not so nice names uh for their victims you know um, so um, just to answer his question, no, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. Um, it's what the oppressor is calling you because he don't care what you call yourself. He's not oppressing you based off of what you label yourself, you know. So if we're talking about racism, white supremacy, then we know why why white supremacists are targeting people who don't look like them. All right. So that's what we will be discussing Again, if you haven't read the article, I have linked to it. If you want to follow along, um, if you haven't read it already, you, it may generate some questions for you. And we welcome all questions and comments concerning these topics. The telephone number is 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit star, star to unmute yourself when you want to jump in to what I hope will be a discussion. And if you're one of those individuals who subscribe to these beliefs, and that's what I'm calling them beliefs, then you are more than welcome to call in and state your case. You know, state your case, and, and we will hopefully engage in some logical deduction, some deductive reasoning, and see if there is any uh, evidence out there to back up with what what you believe because again I, I do believe it's a belief <laughs> I mean really I don't believe it's a belief I know it's a belief because there you know there's knowing and then there's believing and usually beliefs are relegated to religion we believe in God I can't prove to you that God exists but I believe that a God exists, okay? Um, so, without going down that road, let's go ahead and welcome in our guest. I believe I had the right line. Uh, Brother Osei, do we have you on the line? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, I, I hear you perfectly uh, loud and clear. I just want to thank you for accepting my invitation uh, to to discuss what the subject matter of your article about what should victims of racism, white supremacy uh, call call ourselves under the current conditions that we are facing. So, yeah, I appreciate you uh, uh, bringing me on. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, if you could just tell people a little bit about yourself as much as you feel comfortable sharing and and what led you to get into publishing uh, your blog, 21stCenturyRaceMan.com. Okay, well, I'm a victim of racism, white supremacy, first and foremost, and um, I feel like um, being as though 
the plight of people classified as black has always been a concern of mine, a personal concern of mine. And I spent a lot of time thinking and uh, reading about these things that some of that information that I have and some of the analysis that I have could be of some use to someone or it could just be of some use to myself so that I can know that uh, I'm putting something out there that I believe to be constructive. And really, that's really all it comes down to. I just want to put out constructive information and constructive analysis in the hopes that someone else may also find it constructive. And how how long have you been engaging in this activity? Well, in terms of just caring about the uh, plight of people classified as black my whole life, but in terms of this blog, this blog was started in early 2017. Early 2017, okay. And uh, has it general, have you gotten constructive feedback? What type of feedback are you you getting from your readers? Um, Generally, I'm getting the feedback that I hope for, that there are a few people who think that uh, my writings are constructive. So uh, that's a positive thing. Um, I haven't haven't gotten any uh, haters or whatever you want to call them yet. So... um, I don't know, maybe that means that I'm not um, um, effective enough. I don't know what that means, but uh, to this <laughs> point, the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, to this point, uh, the uh, reaction has been, uh, been uh, actually pretty, pretty positive. Um, but I want to stress that, um, truth be told, I wish that the, the uh, circumstances which um, kind of made me want to create this block did not exist in that I could write about something like sports or right. music or something like that. So I agree. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree as a, a black broadcaster and writer myself. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm being effective, but I have encountered haters o- over the year and it can become quite stressful. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but I like to think that it's been more constructive um, for people out there based off of some of the feedback that I've gotten because I, like you, wish I didn't have to do this. You know, I, okay. I, w- I wish I could focus on um, things that are not as stressful as talking about racism or as, you know, I primarily like to discuss, and that's 21st century slavery and human trafficking. Very, very, very stressful to me. Um, but as they say, you know, somebody's got to do it, man. So I, I salute you for doing something that you ra- you wish you didn't have to do, but you saw a need that needed to be fulfilled. And as they say, if not you, then who? Correct, yes. And uh, that's one of the main uh, thought ways of thinking that motivated me to do it. Hey, listen, if not me, then who? And um, I've always been under the uh, idea that the only people that can uh, improve the condition of black people is black people. Um, And now that's not actually, let let me rephrase that, because we're not the only people that can do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people who are the oppressors absolutely can do it this moment if they wanted to. But I do believe that... um, Obviously, the motivation isn't there. <laughs> the only people who would really be motivated 
to do some of the things that uh, could motivate the change in our condition would be us. I would say that's true if we have accurate information. Because some, yeah, you know, there's some people who have bought into some propaganda that actually believe, you know, racism isn't a problem anymore. It's a thing of the, of the past. And either they don't have accurate information or there is some other motive for them to, uh, you know, project those, that incorrect information out you know, into uh, the universe. So let's get into um, what I thought, in my opinion, was a very um, constructive article. Um, It's something that I've talked about in the past, but I kind of left it alone because, you know, I felt like, hey, I don't have anything else new to add to this. I've said what I said. People can take it or leave it. But it does concern me whenever it pops up. Now, it doesn't pop up as regularly because, you know, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of of, of Neely Fuller Jr. and his thoughts and his writings about racism, white supremacy. But um, one of the things that I agree with him is something's causing you stress. If If something's bringing a lot of conflict into your into your life. And specifically, if we're talking about another person, then, you know, you reduce that conflict by reducing your contact with those people. Um, We had a radio show who I felt like deceptively um, came to me and portrayed themselves as being um, classified or belong. Let me say this. Let me put it this way. And I want to say it plainly. Um, But they were deceptive in how they were portraying what their program, their radio program was going to be about. Um, I, based on the fact that they were using the picture of a well-known person who identified as African descendant, who identified as black, uh, and that's Jamaican American uh, Marcus Garvey. And, you know, using his quote that people who don't know their their roots and I'm probably, you know, not remembering the quote correctly, but he talks about, you know, um, um, you must know your roots or, or you don't know your future. I, I think is how the quote goes. And then when I started listening to the program, um, I was like, wait a minute. These people are saying they're not black. These people are saying we something else. We not black and it's incorrect for us to call ourselves black. It's incorrect for us to refer ourselves, refer our refer to ourselves as African American because we don't have no kind of connection to Africa. And that was stressful to me because I was like, okay, if that's your belief, why would you come to Black Talk Radio? Why would you want to be a part? of a radio network that used that label as an identifier and as a, a signal to other people who use that label that this is a network for you, okay? This is a network that's addressing things that that are important to you or concern you and what have you. So um, after some, what I felt like, well, I felt like it was just disrespectful to black people. So I was like, in order to reduce this stress, in order for me not to keep getting, um, you know, uh, feedback on why I'm allowing this on the pro on, on the station, 
I had to cut them loose. You know, I, I had to not renew their contract. And it, it's not that I don't think people have a right to express themselves, even if I disagree with them. But I felt like, you know, this radio station, my name is attached to it. Um, I created it. And therefore, when people uh, find something wrong with it, they're they not going to reach out to you. They're going to reach out to me. And I feel like this is wasting my time. Not only is it wasting my time, but it's counter to everything this network stands for. So I, I had to let them go, man. Um, and so I hadn't even thought about it until you posted your article in btrcommunity.com and I read it and I was like, yeah, let, let's tackle this topic, but this time I'm going to take a different approach and try to figure out why is it that people believe, you know, what they believe in, in on this topic. And you kind of tackle some of that. But let me let me ask you this. What motivated you to write this particular article? Well, I, I'm a watcher of everything. I'm a listener of everything. Okay, so I listen to multiple different podcasts I watch YouTube videos I do all of that and um, I, one thing I probably shouldn't do that I do all the time is I always read the comments and I noticed in every uh, it's becoming more and more common to see people who are jumping into comments to speak on the fact that oh you shouldn't call yourself black or what you know this. it's just like to me I find too many non-constructive arguments about labeling of black people mm -hmm. in these art in these uh, comment sections and these uh, uh, discussions on these podcasts, and it's just like, okay, well, it comes down to what exactly is your purpose? What is the end game to this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you want to call yourself uh, indigenous or copper colored and all that, which is fine. I, I will not take away anybody's right to self-determine or self-describe or whatever. But let's think about it from a logical, practical perspective. Then what? Okay, so let's just say that you're correct about um, the uh, trans transatlantic enslavement trade and all of these things. Let's just say all of that's correct. Okay, then what? What is your plan to eliminate the system of racism and white supremacy? Because if there was no system of racism and white supremacy, I don't think that there would be this need to constantly run away from being called black. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if the transatlantic enslavement trade or our enslavement, the enslavement of uh, people classified as black Africans or whatever else, um, if that hadn't happened, would this even be an argument? Mm -hmm. Let's eliminate the elephant in the room. Let's get to the business of doing that. And I find it that participating in these kinds of arguments about what black people should call themselves, among other black people, other victims, these are easy arguments because um, there's really no substance to the argument. I mean, even if you win the argument, okay, well, what is that going to mean in the real world? What is that going to mean to those who practice and uh, promote and maintain systematic racism, white supremacy, if you identify that as one of the main problems, if not the main problem, and in my opinion, the biggest problem um, confronting black people today? 
So if you call yourself uh, copper-colored, uh, indigenous, and all that, okay, what does that mean to them? I say it means nothing. When you say them, say can you nothing. clarify what does it mean to them? Who is the them? I'm sorry, say that again, sir. Can you clarify what you mean by them? Because I'm a bit confused. Or what does it mean to them? Is is what you said? Are we talking about what, the white people it, oppressing those who actually hold the controls of power in this country? Okay, in thank this you. World? Okay. Yeah. Um, and like I said, like the uh, the uh, conclusion of my article was that it's really not anything of substance to those who practice, promote, and maintain systematic racism and white supremacy, those who uh, have the control of the power. Okay, if you call yourself a Moorish American, will they respect that? I say no, and the reason why is because we don't have the power to enforce that. See, one thing I, this is something I wrote in the, uh, in the uh, article that I wrote, was that you look at the Europeans that are called Jews. Well, there's an argument about whether there's a real Jews or not, and that's that's a that's an argument that could be had. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, they have the, uh, the the controls of the media and the controls of the message, to whereas they could back it up with force and say, no, 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 we are the real Jews. Now, why is that? It's because they have the power. Yeah, I, I would I would add to that, brother. Oh, say not to interrupt you, but I would add to that they yes, had an economic and political power to uh, dictate that. Yes, sir. That's correct. Um, so until you actually have the economic um, and political power to back up whatever it is that you call yourself, then at the end of the day, this is really just kind of non-substantive argument. Mm-hmm. What do you think the motivation is? Um... Well, being as though I don't really take part in those arguments, it will kind of be tough for me to say exactly what the motivation is. Mm -hmm. Um, But from what I think, just my honest opinion that I just pulled just out of my brain, I believe that uh, some of that comes down to um, knowing that there's a problem, but not really wanting to sit down and really do the hard work that it's going to take in order to try to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. the uh, the problem, obviously, is racism, white supremacy, and other things that come with that, such as I know your um, uh, issue that's near and dear to your heart is prison slavery, uh, uh, 21st century slavery, uh, things of that nature. These are very, very difficult arguments, and these are very, very difficult subjects to take on head on. So it's like, okay, I know that there's a problem. But rather than to do the real work, we'll just sit here and argue about uh, whether uh, we should call ourselves uh, black because my boots aren't black. I mean, my boots are black and our skin isn't black. It's like, okay, really? I'm not sure that this, under current conditions, is an argument that we should be spending a lot of time and energy on. Right. Now... Let me answer my question. I think there's different motivations depending upon the individual. I I believe, as you suggest in your article, that some people, and I think the term you use is trying to out-woke somebody, 
somebody yes. else? Uh, can you can you go into that? What is this wokeness well, <laughs> that we're trying to outdo each other on? Well, there always seems to be somebody who's out trying to out black the next person, trying to out well. I do more out here, and you ain't doing nothing. And it's, it's just too much of that kind of um, competitive competitiveness going on, mm-hmm. to where it's like, okay, I'm up on something that you're not up on. Mm-hmm. See, I'm so woke to where it's I don't even think we black anymore. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, um, at some point, it gets self defeating. Mm-hmm. Now. Some of the other people I think are followers, and and it's mm-hmm. easier to just follow another person person's logic than thinking for yourself and doing the research to see if there's any merits to this argument. Um, I ultimately blame racism for it. I call it anti-blackness that these people know that black people get mistreated the most or people classified as black get mistreated the most. So therefore there's this logical fallacy or solution in my mind that the answer to that problem is to simply not call myself black. Um, we've seen this in arguments, you know, cause I have listened to these programs in depth and taken mental notes of their arguments. One person says that, Hey, there, there's these laws called black codes. Now, what they're talking about is laws that victims of racism, white supremacy, both uh, uh, enslaved and quote unquote free were targeted after the American Civil Well, actually it goes back to colonial times um, in the 1600s in the Virginia colony is when the first appearance of racist laws targeting uh, black people appeared on this continent. Now, of course, this is before the creation of the United States of America. This specifically shows up first in the Virginia uh, colonial law. And so, but but going up to the, to the period after the American Civil War, the so-called Jim Crow period, um, black people, victims started giving a name to the laws that were being used to target them to put them back into slavery, but a new form of slavery called convict leasing, which operated through the courts in the prisons. And so vagrancy, there were laws against unemployment. There were laws against loitering. If more than two black people is standing on a public street talking, hey, you can target them for loitering, throw them in jail, um, you know, then lease them back out to plantations or other businesses, private businesses. So these people believe, hey, they were only being targeted because they referred to themselves as black. Well, not really, you know, because back then what the what the oppressor was calling them was Negro or nigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what black people were calling themselves, I found through a reading of history, it was either they were either using Negro too. Or they were calling themselves African-American, um, a, a black Christian preacher coined that term in a speech where he was complaining about white immigrants being brought over here to replace African-American labor. Jesse Jackson did not invent that term. It first showed up 
in a speech in the 1800s. Or they were calling themselves black. Okay? So so that's one aspect of what I think or what I've observed on why they don't want to be labeled as black because they think that the oppression will stop if I simply stop calling myself that which is being oppressed and then now I'm something else. So you kind of asked the question, you know, in the title, you know, under does it really matter what we call ourselves? And and so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's just like I wrote um, toward the end of the article where if being labeled as black did not come with so much pain, so much oppression, so much degradation uh, with a legacy of, uh, a recent legacy of being enslaved, uh, would there be so many people that are running away from the term black. I mean, when you look at people who are classified as white and you look at their skin color, most of their skin color isn't white per se. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a designation. And it's not a designation that they're going to give up because of the uh, the things that come with being white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um in fact, you have a lot of people who at one time were considered non-white who, um, you know, such as the Italians, who now have taken on white status due to, um, I don't want to say exactly why, but in my view, I feel like they that's something that they kind of uh, campaigned for in a way. Um, and I believe that there are other people who are also campaigning to be white or to be considered white at some point mm-hmm. um, because of the status that being white uh, affords you. Mm. Now, if you flip it and you there was a certain status that being black afforded you, I don't think that there would be so many people who are trying to come up with all these different labels to classify people who are commonly classified as black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I can point to a, a, a specific examples of how whiteness, these people didn't choose to be white uh, when they came here, that that whiteness was conferred upon them as a legal designation to further the system of slavery. So we will have to go back again to the 1600s and Bacon's Rebellion, where you had, where, where you had, um, again, Race hadn't yet been invented, um, but this is in the early beginnings, but you had these people who were indentured servants who were known by their nationality or geographical region that they came from. You mentioned the Italians, although, you know, the Italians uh, weren't really coming over here in large numbers back in the 1600s, 1700s. Uh, they really didn't start coming over here, uh, migrating here to the 1800s. But you had the Irish. The Irish were known as the niggers of Europe, meaning that they were being oppressed by Anglo-Saxons who normally went under the nationality of British or something like that. And so they were being preyed upon. Now, they were over here as indentured servants brought over in the same chains alongside of uh, non-Irish African people um, we're talking indentured servitude, and then these people who were the indentured servants, regardless of skin color, say, you know what, we're being mistreated here. 
Let's rebel against these wealthy Anglo-Saxon uh, plantation owners. Um, and yeah, and it's called Bacon's Rebellion. Now, the people who were in charge at that time cut a deal with the Irish and was like, okay, we got to come up with a way where these people who we're oppressing are not banding together and, and opposing us. And so we got to divide them and conquer. So instead of everybody looking at themselves as the oppressed versus the oppressor, now all of a sudden you're white and you're black. And if you're white, we're no longer, we're, we're no longer going to use you as our free labor or our cheap labor. Um, but we're going to make you overseers. We're going to make you slave catchers. Um, you know, to catch the runaway victims of slavery, we're, we're going to make you quote unquote police. That's why Irish people, if you ever notice, Irish people have a very um, um, deep tradition in policing in America. So I, I was I would say that that's how whiteness came came about as a way to further maintain slavery because when everybody was just known by a nationality or the region of the world they came from, you know, um, there was some commonality. Hey, I'm being oppressed. This part, this, this group over here is doing the oppress oppressing. Does that make sense to you, or had you ever no, read about of, that? No, it makes a lot of sense. And. The interesting thing is racial classification seems to also vary depending on um, what part of the world uh, you're in. Because, uh, for instance, in South Africa, this is from what I understand now. I haven't done deep research on it, but this is from what I understand. Um, there are several different types of people who would be considered, all would be considered black over here, which, you know, you have the colored and then you have the blacks. And then you have other racial classifications. So in reality, all of these racial classifications are, uh, they basically exist to maintain and promote racism, white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, so um, the fact is, what we're considered as black under the system of racism, white supremacy, this is just, this is the classification that was forced upon us basically as a uh, mechanism of, of oppression. So I understand that. But at the end of the day, it's not something that we can run from either. Because regardless of how much you run, it's just it's like what they always say, no matter where you go, there you are. You're still going to be considered black. Mm -hmm. So the point is to eliminate the system, which was created basically to oppress, I believe, was created to oppress black people most specifically. Now, let, I want to look at another logical fallacy. And again, I want to stress that it is my intent to pick at people or to to say that I'm more out woke than them or I know more than them. You know, I agree with Malcolm X. Don't condemn a person because they don't know what you know or think as you think or think as fast as you think. Um, but ignorance is real and, and it does exist. And so, you know, it's, I'm just trying to understand it and, and hope uh, that I'm able to help other people understand it. Now, here, here is where I find the logical fallacy that if I just start referring to myself as, say, copper colored or indigenous or if I call myself a Moor, but 
if I read history and understood what I was reading correctly, those groups got oppressed too, right? Didn't they? You know, didn't the Moors get, so. got run up out of Europe? Didn't they get run up out of Europe and 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 pushed out? And um, didn't indigenous people here uh, almost get completely gen- genocided off the planet? That's correct. That's correct. Um, which actually adds a different, interesting element to why would black people, uh, a people who, uh, regardless of our issues, uh, regardless of all of the uh, oppression that we face, we're still standing, we're still here. Right. Why would we want to align ourselves with people who, as you said, those who are considered, who are, who are classified as Native American, I'm not going to say they don't exist, but they don't exist in relevant numbers in 2018, if we're being honest. I mean, you're not going to just walk down the street and see a Native American. You're just not. No, so, no, you're um, not. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, that, it does bring an interesting element as to why we are so gung-ho to take on that designation when the designation of black... Um, I'm not going to say it has served us well because it does represent oppression, unfortunately, but it is the designation that we have. I would and say I it's one it's we chose. To be ashamed of at all. I, if anything, I think it's something to be uh, understood, and it's a good position to take in order to overthrow the system that is, once again, has been created to destroy us. Mm-hmm. I, I would say... Again, this is just based on my reading comprehension of history, um, but it's my understanding that we chose that. That wasn't given to us. That term black was not given to us. Um, you know, as I mentioned in some of my uh, writings and in my research on slavery in on this continent, again, I found a, a African-American preacher who used the term African-American. Um, I also find instances of different people being classified, uh, referring to themselves as black. Um, But to me, uh, if we want to look at the oppressor, the quote unquote white people who's in charge of this system, they was always calling us niggers and or Negro. They did not come up with black. They did not come up with African-American. These are self-identifiers, and that leads me back to something you said earlier about, and I totally agree with, I'm not going to disrespect somebody and tell them how they should self-identify. Everybody has a human right to self-identify however they want to. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with that designation, but if I'm respecting you, if I'm in a conversation with you, I'm not going to refer to you to as something that you've already indicated to me that you don't like. You don't want to be referred to that way. So I'm just going to refer to you by the name that by your name, whatever your name is, you know, brother O.C. OK, I'm going to call you brother O.C. Yeah. If, if you don't want to be called black, hey, it's no need for me to call you black. You know, hey, brother O.C., what you think about this, that or the or or the other. So I, I would say, you know, that there this group that we're talking about are not reciprocating in the same uh, respect for other people's right to self-identify. Now, now I have a question for you, Scotty. Sure. Um, 
in the in the research that you have conducted now you say that uh black was a self-identifier right now was that a self-identifier in the face of our enslavement and of our already of our already ongoing impression i mean oppression excuse me or was that something that uh was something that we kind of carried as a label even before the transatlantic enslavement trade and the maafa and all of those things no before before our enslavement, before our oppression, before the construction of racism, white supremacy, we were referring to ourselves by our tribal names, by our nationalities. But we, we, of course, you know, when I say we, I'm talking about us here on the continent of North America. And it did become an inter, a intercontinental designation as Stevie Biko, um, who is a South African, which you uh, raised earlier, uh, when he created his organization to fight against apartheid and racist mistreatment in South Africa, he used the label black for his or- organization. Um, so to, a- to answer your question simply, it's a, a it's a, a label that we came up with as a response to um, uh, identify ourselves in a system of racism. And there you go, and, and that that leads me back to the whole point of the article is when you eliminate the system of racism, white supremacy, then you'll have the power and the ability to call yourself whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have an ability to be able to have that designation that you give to yourself hold weight Mm -hmm. well you know again you bring up a lot of good points in this article I think it's a good read and you know I I still I have to point to stress and mental illness as a response to uh, racist oppression uh, whether we call it white supremacy or whatever whatever we call it. Um, I think that's where it's coming from ultimately. I think it is a, a, it's a um, um, psychological response to the stress of racism and white supremacy and just people looking for a way out of oppression and, you know, just trying anything without actually, you know, I guess... Uh, engaging in logical reasoning to determine whether or not this is a solution to the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I also think that, um, um, and this is not to beat up on fellow victims, but um, there's a tendency of black people, unfortunately black people, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but black people who kind of take on the, the, the mantle of consciousness uh, or the uh, uh, the title of consciousness to major in the minors um, to argue about things like you know who built the pyramids and what is this and that and this and that and which which these these things are important but again I'm, I'm big on end games what's the end game right what's is the end is is the end game to eliminate the system of racism white supremacy it's not and it's kind of I don't want to say a waste of time but it's kind of a, uh, a peripheral issue. Um, let, let's let's attack the, the uh, elephant in the room. I would agree. Uh, we have a number. We have a couple of callers. Uh, you open to taking some calls, brother Osei. Uh, 
yes, sir. All right. Um, I'm not sure uh, who was on the board first because I wasn't looking at it. I was looking at his article at the time. But we're going to go to South Carolina first. Uh, I believe that is uh, my abolitionist brother from another mother, Max Parthis, joining us on the line. Hey, Max, do you have a question or, or comment you would like to share on this particular topic? Yes, I would like to ask your guest a direct question if that's possible and if he's willing. Yes, sir. Indeed. Uh, I seem to have noticed that there's a discrepancy in what the core issue is. You have decidedly stated that the core issue is racism, white supremacy, and that you're insistent that we need a plan to end racism, white supremacy. But on the other hand, Scotty and myself, many others, don't see that as the core issue at all. And that's where the confusion comes in. We see slavery as the core issue because slavery is a trillion dollar a year industry that controls people based on race and class. And without that industry, white supremacy really wouldn't have any power. They wouldn't be able to put you in prisons or jails. They wouldn't be able to exploit your income and monies. And literally, it would die of a, a, a slow death because of that lack. So for us, we believe that if we end slavery, legalize slavery, not only in this country, but hopefully eventually globally, that that will put the death knell to racism, white supremacy. Okay. Now, and um, I understand what you're saying, uh, but my thing is, okay, when you think about the American chattel enslavement system and then the uh, 13th Amendment and, and those things, um, it becomes kind of a chicken and for the egg argument, what came first, because did slavery create racism, white supremacy, or did racism, white supremacy, and the mentality behind racism, white supremacy create slavery? Uh, either way, I think those things are uh, inextricably um, connected. So yes, Yes, sir. So if you um, eliminate slavery, I think that you will be eliminating a large um, component of racism, white supremacy. And if you uh, erase racism, white supremacy, then by definition, you will eliminate race-based slavery. Mm -hmm. Max? Well, yeah, I would just say this. There are no laws that we could use now or in the past that we could abolish racism, white supremacy with. But there is a law in the Constitution that we can amend to abolish slavery. So when we're talking about having a plan, that's a solid plan with something real that can be done. All right, um, Max, thank, thanks for that. Let, let me chime in on that. Um, Brother O, say you are, well, I'm just asking the question for the uh, sake of the audience because I know you know uh, Dr. Uh, the late Dr. Francis Crest Welsing, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. if I can get Gus, I keep telling myself I got to get Gus to send me that clip from her appearance on the cow where she stated emphatically that uh, uh, slavery is what created racism, uh, white supremacy. Um, that's my understanding of it too. That's why I was citing Bacon's Rebellion. That's why I was pointing to the um, um, the 1600s in Virginia uh, 
um, law known as the Slave Codes. That was the first appearance of legislation that started uh, um, legalized discrimination against someone based on their skin color, um, not based on their status as free or or being enslaved. But so that's why uh, I believe that. Also, um, Max, this is for you. Racism, white supremacy as a matter of law was abolished or outlawed by the work of Dr. King. It's in the 1964 civil rights um, legislation. That is why individuals can take an employer, let's say a white employer, to court for discrimination, either racial discrimination. It also covers discrimination based on sex. That's either male or female. It also uh, uh, covers racism, ba- uh, excuse me, discrimination based on national origin. You know how, how these white people hate no Mexicans or, or you know, no matter where, they, if they from another country in South America, they still call them Mexicans or what have you. So that's that's discrimination based on, on national origin. And then there's also uh, discrimination uh, based on religion. Now, the thing, the problem that I see is, is that the people who are in charge, regardless of that law, it's not enforcing that law. And if you can't enforce the law, then what good is the law? You know what I'm saying? It's not doing anybody any good if there's no enfor- if there's no intent to enforce it. Okay? And yeah, it's enforced in spotty cases around the nation, but you know, uh it's still a very huge problem. So that means that it's not being enforced or enough people are not being penalized with perhaps having their freedom taken away for practicing something that's been outlawed and, and throwing them into prison slavery. Um, but in terms of the law, it had there that there has been federal legislation to outlaw uh, racism as well as other forms of discrimination. Now, outside of the law, I look at, and I think I may, I could be incorrect, but I think I heard Mr. Fuller refer to white supremacy as a religion because it's based on a belief. It's not based on any fact. Your white skin does not make you superior uh, to anyone else, okay? In, in fact, some might say it makes you inferior because you burn up in the sun and, you know, uh, other uh, uh, genetic problems that you have and what have you, but that's a belief. I believe that I'm better than you because my skin is white and I'm black, but there's no scientific uh, basis to that. I don't feel like you can never, you cannot legislate away, nor can you make a person change their their beliefs. You can perhaps give them information to counter their beliefs, and if they're honest and objective and they see the logic and the evidence that you're presenting to them, then they're going to stop believing in something that's a logical fallacy. So I don't mean to run on. Am I making any sense to you? Yeah. Oh, you just, was that was that directed towards me? Um. Yeah. You. Yeah. It was. You're the guest. Yeah. I was directing it towards you. Okay. Yes. Um. Well, it does make some sense, but at the same time, I also think that racism is a system. Um, and Mr. Fuller also says that uh, it's something that affects all nine areas of people's activity. And um, I think it goes uh, 
beyond just a simple belief. Um, you can believe what you want to believe, but it has to be backed up by action, and it has to be backed up by policy, and it has to be backed up with uh, thought, word, and action. Um, right, right, I right. That, I agree with that. Yeah. They're practicing a, yes, the religion of white supremacy. It is more than just a belief. They're, pra- they're putting their beliefs into practice. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the practice of racism, white supremacy, no, I'm sorry, the system of racism, white supremacy, that I think that um, is, is really my pet issue. Okay. Um, that's, that's really what I'm concerned about. Now, whether some uh, white person or uh, non-black person or whatever just simply just doesn't like me, uh, well, you have the right to not like me. That's fine. Right. You do not have the right. I don't think you should have the right to um, uh, pro- preclude me from jobs, uh, from from decent housing, um, from just simply not being harassed simply because I'm not white. Mm-hmm. Um, general mistreatment. Right. Uh, you do not have the right to do that. Now you have the right to not like me if you don't want. If you, if you don't want to like me, that's fine. No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't be the first person to not like me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, you know, um, the purpose of this that I brought you on here is not, you know, to debate rape, uh, racism versus slavery, which came first, the chicken or the egg, but mm-hmm. what your article is focused on. Why are people saying it's incorrect for a person to refer to themselves as black or African-American and let's jump into this. Let, hey, uh, how long can how long can you uh, stay with us, uh, Brother Osei? I don't want to hold you up, uh, man. No, I, I have a few more minutes. We, we're good. Okay, I'm going to take a station identification break because I also, what I want people to take away from this is just to promote engaging in logical deduction or logical reasoning. There are different terms, but they're all talking about the same thing and, and looking at evidence and logically deducing, uh, you know, fact from fiction. So on the other side of our break, I'm going, I'm not going to take a music break. I'm just going to take a station identification break, but I want to get into some of the logical fallacies that are, that I've been hearing um, about, well, what evidence do you have that the transatlantic, as you call it, Brother Osei, enslavement trade, um, we also call it human trafficking, uh, what evidence do you are you putting out there to suggest that it don't exist uh, or it never mm-hmm. happened? And so I want to jump into that area on the other side. Oh, I'm my bad. We're going to go to our other caller on the other side of the break, and then I'm going to get into that. So hold on, caller. Um um, believe that's Brother Ross calling us from the uh, area known as uh, New Jersey. Uh, you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. I broadcast this program every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time if I am willing. Stay tuned. Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. 
For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com You are tuned in today. to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to BTR News. Let me let me say this before I, I go to Roz um, on, on what we were just discussing before the break. I suspect if we eliminated the practice of racism, white supremacy, that slavery would still remain. It would return to its original form, um, colonial form, where people without power were being enslaved, or if you want to call them indentured servants or what, whatever, exploited labor. I, I believe we would go back to that. And we see some elements of, of, of that today with a shrinking, quote-unquote, middle class. And, you know, it, it would just simply be people with power, versus those without power. Unfortunately, I think it's human nature for uh, uh, certain people with a certain type of mindset to oppress other people. And and if if somebody's if black people weren't here on this continent, and if it was just all white people, I suspect that again that they'd be mistreating each other. It's just something about about a certain type of mindset in, in on this planet to where people exploit other people. It's all about that power. But, you know, I do agree with Brother Ose um, in acknowledging that they're in, interconnected. If we're talking about the United States of America, you, you cannot talk about slavery without pointing out the disproportionate impact that it has on non-white people, okay? Um, so they are in, interconnected. Uh, Ross. Thank you for hanging on patiently. What What's on your mind? What do you have to add to our dialogue on this issue? Hey, greetings to you, Brother Scotty. Peace and love to you, uh, Brother Ose, and peace and love to Max as well, um, Brother OG and the other callers and listeners. Man, you said so much. I had some things to touch on. I wanted to start first um, with, uh, yes, you are correct. Slavery came first, then racism, white supremacy. If you study the history of slavery, even in Rome, they didn't practice color-based slavery. They had slaves from all over the world, and they treated them all the same. And even at times, those former slaves could actually rise in their status to very, very high levels of nobility if they had, you know, if they pushed themselves that far. So that is very, very true. There's a great um, the the thing I wanted to say though is uh, when it comes to slavery today, slavery disproportionately affects three areas of people activity in my opinion that's the area of sex because they're controlling your access to the opposite sex when you're locked up they're controlling uh controlling it's the con controlling it through law because they're legally putting people into slavery and then economics because of course they're making money off of the free labor 
the way that white supremacy is practiced now is it covers all I, I consider ten areas of people activity. That's economics, education, entertainment, healthcare, labor law, politics, religion, sex and war. So eliminating racism in my opinion would eliminate all of those areas of people activity that they dominate us in. Whereas if we just eliminated slavery, it would, like Brother Ose said, knock out a substantial portion, but it's only affecting those three areas of people activity. So again, they'll be able to continue to practice it in all the other areas of people activity if we stop slavery the way that it's practiced in this country today. That's just my opinion. I could be incorrect. I think that, I'm sorry, uh, Brother Ross, but I think that was a very astute observation and I never heard anyone break it down like that and particularly what stood out to me is slavery does control uh, our ability to reproduce which is in the activity area of sex and it also promotes um, you know um, homosexual behavior um, when you're putting all all, which also leads to depopulation and what have you um, so I, I I never heard anybody put it that way, and that's why I had to stop and give you credit for a, a original observation that I've never heard anyone else um, make. But again, I still have to say, if we're talking about the United, well, we could talk about the planet because we know the United States pretty much is the global government that's dictating to everybody else how they operate. But slavery in law. I mean, excuse me, racism in law has been outlawed. They have laws against it and, and penalties that people have to pay if you can prove, and the key word is prove. You have to prove that this is what yeah. they've done um, to you and how it injured you. And then there's the enforcement arm, which is important also in slavery. You know, we got to have slave catchers out there to enforce the law of slavery. And, 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 and the same slave catchers are ignoring the laws. And I would say the authorities, the people in charge are just not enforcing the laws against racism. And therefore, if yes. there's no penalty, then why would people stop? Why would they obey and those laws? To, you are absolutely correct, Brother Scotty, and I wanted to speak to that real quick because this is what I think justice would look like outside of the, the purview of the written laws against racism. As you said correctly, there are laws against it. They don't practice it. You can't control how individual people behave. So uh, whether they're law enforcement or regular human beings, you know, we don't control how each individual chooses to treat another individual. But there was a story that came out that I think um, uh, Jenna has shared last week where there was a white male who had called a black male a nigger and the black male recorded this, the incident and posted it online. It went viral and the guy who owned his own business ended up, his business collapsed because once the information came out, he was assaulted by all of the other people um, who were even patrons of his business due to the fact that he practiced such horrible racism on this black male. Now, he went online and said that him practicing racism caused not, well, basically him being called a racist and being shown to be a racist ruined his life because now Mm -hmm. he can't run his business. He can't take care of his family. He's about to lose his house. Everything happened after the society shunned him due to what he did to a black male and he filmed it now if we that's what i'm talking about is a cultural shift if we start to treat every racist like him 
then they will stop. They will have to control how they choose to attempt to abuse non-white people because everyone is going to shun them. They're going to lose their job. They're going to lose everything they have due to practicing racism. So it's a cultural shift because what we're in is a psychological matrix that white people have created to keep us in a, in a position where we're always subservient to them and we fall in line based on all of the different control mechanisms they set in place. Now, if we start to, to go against those control mechanisms by shunning racist mistreatment, racist murder, whatever it is, then eventually they're going to have to stop mistreating us the way they do. That's, that, that's what I wanted to say to address that directly because you're absolutely right. Something else I wanted to touch on, too, is that um, the oldest known reference of black people calling themselves African-American has always been attributed to Jesse Jackson. That is completely incorrect. The oldest known documented reference of a black person in this country calling themselves African-American dates back to 1782, and it was in an actual sermon. Um, written by a black male in which he was, um, I think, the choir director. Or We're talking like about that. the same I, sermon. I just incorrectly put the period into 1800s, but you're right. Uh, I, we're talking about the same instance. Go ahead, Ross. No problem. And what it is is that we have gotten caught up in what we think these terms are that have been given to us and caught up in this legal jargon that is throwing us completely off. And as a result, we're approaching the subject really, really um, misinformed, I think. And even when you go to the term copper colored, and some of the um, people who call themselves aboriginal or indigenous, that is the term that they prefer to be called most times from what I've seen. But that term is a white man's term. It comes from Noah's Webster's Dictionary, which is the oldest dictionary in this country dating back to 1828, where America, the term American they describe as copper-colored people. So that is where they're getting the term from. So they tell us, oh, white people call you black, and all this legal jargon around calling ourselves black, but yet they choose another term that the white man called them to call themselves. No right. aboriginal or indigenous or Native American people ever call themselves copper-colored. They call themselves by whatever tribe they belong to, whatever ethnic group they belong to, and that was pretty much it. So, so that is a, a false, illogical argument as well. And something else, too, was that um, I heard, and it happened to be on the program that you talked about earlier in the show, um, where you had to, you know, let them go due to that behavior, um, where there was even a switching of the term of us calling ourselves white. And that psychologically says to me that it has to do with the abuse of slavery. I remember Dr. Ben in the 70s talking about this very issue. And he talked about it throughout the 80s, that black people don't want to be African because they don't want to be connected to slavery since now the term slavery is synonymous with being black, even though the origin of the term comes from the Slavic people of Europe, Eastern Bloc Europeans who were originally enslaved by their Western Bloc brethren. So now that the term is applied to us universally, some of these black folks don't want to be associated with being black or African or African-Americans because in their minds, it connotates being a slave. So that idea of taking back the term white and making it something that we call ourselves, which was something that was discussed multiple times on that show, and I thought it was pretty weird and idiosyncratic. I understood the dictionary meanings that they were talking about and stuff, but just the ultimate... Um, idea that we could take that term from white folks who dominate us and call ourselves what they call themselves and magically that's going to be the elixir for us being treated better in a society where whiteness is, is valued more than quote unquote blackness 
but yet these white people today, quote unquote, are the ones who confer whiteness. And I suggest people read the, the book by Nell Painter called The Origin of White People, because it gives a historical reference for when the psychological matrix was created, where this idea of whiteness was given value and anything that wasn't white was devalued. She gives the exact history of it in a comprehensive, very well-researched manner. Um, and with that, I'll mute myself, but thank you. And I wanted to say one last thing to the homosexual thing that you talked about, Brother Scotty. Yes. What they found in science, they found in the Congo, when they were killing off, um, having the, the big war um, back in the 80s, that they had killed off so many gorillas for bushmeat that they had killed the majority of females, and that they found for the first time in their 100-year history of studying mountain gorillas that they saw homosexuality amongst these males. They said the older males would take a younger male, basically, um, who lost their mother and raise them himself. And over time, they would develop a sexual relationship, but it was due to the lack of access to females. Mm -hmm. And months ago, I saw a scientific paper written about people in jail, and they had a term that I'd never heard before. It was called transient homosexuality. And what that mm -hmm. was was the fact that you have black males who are not homosexual, and if placed in a normal environment, they would never go for sex with a male but they become homosexual in the circumstances of prison where they lack access to a female, just like they did to the gorillas by killing off their females. So again, this is a created reality, like you said, that leads us towards genocide, and that's outside of them tasting the food and the water and, and, and all of the other things that they're doing to genetically alter us into want, wanting to be uh, the opposite sex. Thank you so much. And with that, I'll meet myself, good brother. Incredible hey, program. I appreciate you both. All right, brother. Oh, say, did hey, you Ryan. want to respond? No, I just wanted to say uh, it's a brilliant call. I really appreciate Ross. Uh, it's great to hear on the show. Um, uh, in terms of um, um, what he had to say about slavery, uh, and I, I wanted to ask him this while he was still on the line. Um, let me ask you this, Scotty. Do you think Ross that, is still there? Uh, you can ask him. Go Ross, ahead. Ross, you still here? Yes, he's still Absolutely, there. Absolutely, brother. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to ask both of you. Do you do you think that the term slavery is a little bit too broad? Because you you broke down the history of slavery quickly, and you talked about how slavery meant something different until, from what I understand, it meant something different until the. Uh, chattel enslavement of African people. Is that correct? Yes. Um, the term slave was co coined from the people who were Slavic. So anyone from Europe with the term Slav in their name, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Slovakia, all of those places were the places where the original slaves came from. And that term slave is the shortened is the is an extension of the term Slav. They just added an e to the end. So the term okay, so slave was coined by from those people. Okay, so you're not you're not talking about the shadow enslavement of Africans or uh, people classified as black here in America. Now, when you talk about the chattel enslavement era and the Thirteenth Amendment era, uh, mm -hmm. which is what we're in today, yes, I w I w would you say that that's the same thing as the chattel enslavement era? And yes, if not, I would. Would you think that you would say that that's the exact same thing? Yeah, when we look at the Edmund, I'm probably butchering this word. The etymology, the etymology of words, it, and you know, words are very important. I hear that stressed a lot on different programs mm -hmm. on Black Talk Radio Network in the, in the circles, um, you know, that I'm party to different conversations. 
Chattel simply means property. That's all that means is property. Movable property. Yeah, yeah. Mo- movable property. It's chattel, and so it's a variation of cattle. And so when when we look at the the roots of that word, what that chattel means, then people refer to uh, prisoners as property of the state. Um, when I okay. was when I was in the United States military, one of the first things that they told me was I was no long I was I, I was no longer an individual that I was the property of Uncle Sam. So I was chattel. Okay. I was chattel. So chattel just means means um property. And so slave in the context what we're talking about, the transatlantic and the enslavement of African people I mean, it just simply means that black people were viewed as property of those who who, but, but, who were victimized. Yes, sir. Um, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to wanted to throw in something though. There are a little bit, there are a few different things that came uh, with the enslavement of Africans from that era, such as the fact that uh, if you and another slave or enslaved person were to have a child, that child will also be born enslaved. Now, which I don't think it's correct. I'm sorry. Now, what I was thinking when you originally answered the question is that the term is, mm-hmm. is being misapplied. Um, we hear athletes yeah. being referred to as slaves. We're hearing people, let's say, who making minimum wage, being those being referred to as slave wages or, or right. that being referred right. to slavery. So I think it is a term that is being broadly um, applied, I would say misapplied, but we, now, when we're talking chattel slavery, you know, yes, there was some difference. I, I, I use the term pre-American Civil War slavery and post-American Civil War slavery because of the differences okay. like what you just said, that two victims of slavery have a child then, you know, uh, talking about words again, capitalism, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to his other slavers bragging about how his wealth increases or his capital, which means head count in Latin, how his capital increased with every victim that was born on his plantation. So when we talk about the 13th Amendment, we are not discounting the differences of enslavement pre-Civil War as opposed to post-Civil War, okay? Um, but what we are saying is is that it's similar in chattowing that you're being treated like property to generate a profit. But but your diff- okay. but but the distinctions that you noted are, uh, are correct. Yeah, yeah, and the reason why I said that is because I just want to eliminate confusion when we speak on slavery, because slavery as we know it, in terms of that being probably the dominant institution that probably formed all uh, racial relations after it happened, mm-hmm. um, and it's probably the, um, I would say it's probably the most significant institution in the history of America in a lot of different ways. I think that that's something that's different than um, what Roz was referring to that happened before that era. And I think that sometimes the word slavery is kind of used in a confusing way deliberately. Yes, So it's the same thing like, well, you know, Africans enslaved Africans and things like that. 
Well, I, I wanted to, to chime in on that, too, because one thing that I, I tell people is when you study European history, you'll find that a lot of what they did to other people, they did to themselves first. And a lot of the, the types of abuse that we experienced, that's what they did to Eastern Bloc Europeans. Matter of fact, when you look at the, the Bolshevik Revolution, when the Russians broke away from the English and, and revolted against them and created their own country, they hated the British so much that a black man, Alexander Pushkin, who was so-called mixed race but identified as an African, created the Russian language so that they didn't have to speak English. That's how much he despised what they did to his people. And so the, so the treatment was very similar. And they just translated it, just like when you look at the um, what happened to the, the, the Jews in the so-called Holocaust, when you go to Namibia, Africa, they did the same thing to those Africans, even worse, before they did what they did to the Jews hey, in Europe. Hey, hey, so Ross, they always get their practice with us. Um, go ahead. Um, let, let, let me say this, and I'm in Oshi, I actually, I mean, Osei, I actually had put this in the description, and I had totally forgot about it. Um I posted a link to um, a, a thread, a history thread, talking about um, the kingdom of Dahomey and this specific African king, or I should say it would be more accurate to call him a Dahomey king because that was the name of the kingdom. So right. whenever I think that victims of racism, I think this is that psychological abuse in us trying to rationalize or or, you know, trying to minimize the PTSD, there's a lot of denial that Africans enslave Africans. Well, to me, I'm like, okay, you cannot deny, why would Africans in African, and again, um, as is pointed out in that thread that I, that I published, the first thing they start off by saying is, first you have to recognize that, that prior to the Atlantic slave trade, um, Africans did not view themselves as Africans. Um, as I also say, stated, Pan-Africanism is a relatively new concept in that, in that Africans, just like we were talking about here in indigenous uh, um, Native Americans, they're known by their tribal names. So you had tribal warfare going on on the continent of Africa. You had kingdoms fighting other kingdoms for the same thing that human beings have been waging war since the invention of war, fighting each other for resources and then enslaving the captives, you know, who lost the war. So that, you know, and I say to people, you know, you could say Africans didn't enslave Africans, but, you know, you're, the way that you're saying that is is kind of disingenuous. We refer to people on the continent as Africans. And some Africans will, you know, say we're Africans. But if we want to talk about specifics, we have to name the tribes. We have to name right. the kingdoms. Okay? Yeah. We have to name the kingdoms if we want to get into detail and give out the most Afri accurate information. I think white people practicing racism use that as a deflection to try to minimize their role. And they had the primary role because they were the consumers of the victims of slavery without them wanting to buy and, and, and had this cheap labor. There would have been no need for uh, uh, different tribes on the continent to sell the captives to them. So um, one, la one last thing is, 
in my study of, of, of slavery on the North American continent, before the Europeans got here, Native Americans were enslaving other Native American tribes. And the ones yeah. who were known for the most brutal form of slavery were the Comanches, which were, which were uh, based out west. And they particularly, they particularly gave these Europeans a very, very hard time because they, you know, I'm, they, they were known as some of the fiercest warriors. And um, when they would conquer other tribes and take over their territory, they had a brutal form of slavery. And but the caveat was is that you could go through this very brutal initiation ceremony, and you could go from being a slave to becoming. A, com- a member of the Comanche Nation. Um, um, Otis, before I go to you, let me give uh, uh, Ross and uh, Brother Osei an uh, opportunity to respond to anything I stated. Yes, I wanted to just touch first on, yes, you are absolutely correct. Um, for anyone to say that Africans did not enslave other Africans is a complete lie. Um, matter of fact, I recently posted an article, an article that got into five different types of slavery that were practiced on the continent prior to European arrival. And there was a major difference in how slavery was practiced in Africa before Europeans arrived. Right. Um, it, was, it was actually more of an indentured servitude. Almost all five right, different right. forms were forms of indentured servitude. You, the slave had rights, so if they were mistreated, they could actually go to the right. chief or the king and be removed from that family and, right. and serve their, their time somewhere else. You also could be enslaved for um, committing a crime. They could enslave you to a family or basically for like five years to work off the penance for whatever you did. So there were different circumstances. And in the beginning, a lot of those tribes who were selling black people didn't know what they were selling them into. They had assumed that it was the same slavery that they were accustomed to. And right, it was right. Only after a while that they started to get that news, like, wait a minute, they killing us? They do they Yeah, there, there, there's a Nigerian was- businesswoman that was brought to my attention who became an abolitionist. And yep, she posted that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and she was selling them. And she was yes. like, but I didn't know that they was yep. treating them so brutal. And once she found out, she became an abolitionist. And, and, and this is the same thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. And this is the reason why I said that I think that there should be a separate term that's used in order to be able to differentiate the difference between the enslavement. Uh, the, the diff- you said there were diff- five different types of enslavement. So to me, I feel like the enslavement that black people went through here in America, that, like I said, it's framed pretty much all racial relations uh, in its wake in the aftermath, and I think it's the most significant thing that's ever happened here in America. I -hmm. think that there should be a different designation for that simply because of uh, the sheer brutality of it, which was just absent. And it may not be absent in the, uh, as uh, um, Scotty calls it the. Uh, it, it may not be totally absent from as Scotty calls it the post Civil War uh, mm-hmm. version of slavery, but um, I mean, I, of course, I know you've read all of the different uh, literature that I've read, uh, and probably a, a lot more. So you probably are aware of some of the just evil, torturous things that were. But brother, I'll say, brother, I'll say. Let, and, 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 and let, yes, let me say this. 
we have to include the entire diaspora. We have to include the Caribbean. We have to include South America because Brazil yes, sir. Yes, sir. had the largest amount of victims that were trafficked from um, you know, the continent. So we have, we have to yes, include, include them. They same brutality and, and what have you. Now, the, uh, yes, the yes. other and, thing and, and is, I, I want to say that if, if anybody thinks that I was trying to not include them, then, uh, that, no, that's, no, no, that's, no, 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 I, I know, I know, you know, you were just speaking because of where we live and that's, you know, we're talking yes, about us. So, um, so yes, I, I just wanted to add that for the audience, for for the record. Yeah. But also, yeah. now when we talk about brutality, Brother Osei, for as long as I've been doing New Abolitionist Radio and reading these stories, it's just as brutal today. Prisoners, it's, it's, let me just bring up the story of Darren Rainey, who was boiled to death by prison guards in a scalding hot that. shower. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was horrible. They have gassed prisoners to death. They have beaten prisoners to death. Um, we they make them fight each other to the death, gladiator fights and things of that nature. So it's it's just as brutal as po- facilitate sexual assaults. Yeah, sexual like assaults. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I've read stories about guards in Michigan hog tying women, leaving them on the cold floor for days without food and water, and to make them more compliant to the sexual depravity of the guards. So so it's just as brutal today as it was back then. It's just not out in the open like it was back then. It's behind those walls. Does that make any sense? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. They refined it. That's the refinement of the brutality of slavery by putting it behind closed doors, closed walls, like you said, and quote unquote isolating it from the community and the community's not consciously aware of all of this terrorism and genocide going on in inside those walls. And if they are so made I, aware of Ross, they've been hit they with care. propaganda to make them think that the people deserved it. Well, mm-hmm. what did they do to get in there? Maybe they should have yeah. thought about that before they stole that 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 pound cake. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, just, it's, it's indescribable. And I think you're right, brother Ose, but I just don't know what term. I don't think there's a term in the English language that can really um, describe what we've been through. You know, <laughs> it, it, I don't think there's really a word for it in this language that can really capture the essence. Of well, what really let, let, let me say like this. That. Let me say this. Um, I don't think we need another term because they came up with another term and it's confusing. That term is mass incarceration and mass incarceration really does not relay what's really going on. So I think calling it slavery is fine. Now, when we start talking about the different periods of slavery, like I say, I talk about post-American Civil War slavery and pre American Civil War slavery to talk about, you know, the different eras in the different forms. But I think that we need to call it by its name, okay? And even Frederick Douglass talked about this. He was talking about slavery is going to reemerge just like a snake changing its skin, but it's still a snake. You know, they just going to call it something else. 
And that's why, you know, Professor Blackman came out with that book, Slavery by Another Name. Yeah. I say call it what the Constitution calls it. The Constitution calls it slavery. So I'm going to go with what the people in charge say it is. I agree, and I think your use of it is most has been most effective. And I agree with um because Max has said this numerous times that what the work you all have done is spreading and has spread to very very big people. And the terminology that term slavery is it has the most effective effect on the psyche of the person who who is being told about this in order to get them to understand better what is happening. So I think you're absolutely correct as far as like using the term that the the um, colonizer uses and also that term is most effective in regards to at least garnering a response when, once a person understands the, gra- the, the gravity of what you're talking about. So I agree with you emphatically on that. May I, may I interject in that as well? Absolutely. Uh, that's, no Max, that's Max Parthas, uh, co-host of New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead, Max. When we first started out New Abolitionist Radio uh, seven seasons ago, um, that was the first thing on our list <clears throat> to change the language, and we understood why. See, if you're talking about mass incarceration, then you're implying that this is something that can be fixed. And if you're saying slavery, that's a completely different perspective, the opposite of what the other one thinks. It implies that this is a crime against humanity, which cannot be fixed and must be abolished by necessity. So, yes, that was very important, and it still is, that people use the correct language. As a world-renowned poet, I cannot stress uh, how much and how important and how powerful words are. Thank you, Max. Um, I don't want to hold up Brother Osei. He's been generous with with his time, and this is his day off, and he might have other stuff that he (laughs) needs to get done. So, Brother Osei, did you have anything that you would like to – well, we got one more call. Can we take this one more call? I don't know if they have a question or comment for you before you go. Yes, sir. Uh, Brother Otis, uh, another abolitionist comrade um, calling us from the Virginia area. Uh, We mentioned Virginia earlier. Check out them 1600 slave codes to um, see how racism uh, was introduced by law to strip free black colonists of their rights. Go ahead, Otis. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. You tied in a lot of stuff. Uh, Kudos to Brother Ose because I actually complimented him as soon as he posted that article. And I told him I thought it was very uh, astute and and on point. But what I wanted to say is that when Roz brought up that, uh, talking about the use of African-American, actually it was used before even the situation he cited. And it happens to be connected to where I'm from, Yorktown, Virginia, over a preacher having a sermon about defeating the British right here in Yorktown. And I wanted to bring up something else too. I don't have the citations. I lost the hard drive I have. But indeed, chattel slavery tells you exactly what's wrong with the type of slavery that was presented here. I I did some research back in the late 70s that shows chattel, as Scotty said, is property. But along with the idea of you being property, there's an inherent part of the law that says you had no rights attributed to other humans, just like any livestock. 
And you can find some of that entwined in the 1661 Barbados codes where the British tried to legalize slavery. They made conditions that the people had to provide clothing and lodging and this kind of stuff, but they distinctly made it legal that you could mutilate or even burn that piece of property alive and have no reprisal. So chattel slavery is what distinguishes us, as Roz so distinctly said early on, from the type of slavery all other societies were used to. Right, I, right, I right. And one, one, one other you. thing Thank comes you. to mind, Otis, um, when you say that, is the intersection with racism and white supremacy. So why, why, how did you sell to the American public the mistreatment of these victims of slavery? Well, you just simply uh, introduced that these Negroes ain't human. They not human, they animals. And we've seen that all throughout racist propaganda and portraying black people as not human. Right. Brother Scotty, I wanted to chime in on that because that's why I said earlier the term chattel is not just property, it's movable property. And it is related to cattle because what are cattle? Movable property. You can move them from one pasture to another pasture. You can slaughter them. And that's basically what we were. We were considered movable property. We, you know, they chain us up, walk us on the chain gang to wherever they're going to take us to, and then set up their plantation and bang, you throw us on there. So, um, yeah, it's basically, and you're absolutely correct, it's that dehumanization process in regards to, hey, they're not human. They're, they're, they're animals. They're, they're anything but human. So whatever you do to them, anything goes, it's okay. But then when you go back to just the historical culture of Europeans, and their rape of animals is the same thing. Animals can't speak, they can't defend themselves, so you can do what you want with them. And that's what they do. You know, there's a whole, there's brothels, animal brothels all over Europe right now. That is, and it's the animal brothel capital of the planet, I think is, is, um, is Holland, if I remember correctly. So they did the same thing with us. That's why you find, even though white people, quote unquote, they say they hated us and they created racism, but yet they took every opportunity to do what? Rape us. Not just rape the women, but rape the men and the children. Right. I, I wanted to myself. interject one other thing. Uh, I We keep talking about why people throw these spurious accounts out of what something is and distract from the truth. There's a thing called meritorious manumission. When around the same time that Beacon's Rebellion and all this came out and race was codified into law in the Virginia colonies, they still couldn't stop the rent, the rent, uh, the sporadic killings on plantations and, and farmhouses. So they came up with a way of when a slave did anything to benefit a white man, he could buy his freedom, and it was actually written into law exactly what he would get, like fifty bales of cotton, and and I can't remember all the uh, specifics, but it was a standard set aside to encourage them to tell on the other, to hold and suppress them. That is exactly what we see now in this current iteration of what we're dealing with. Proxy racism. You can tear them aside and make it personally beneficial. They forget about community. Right, right. Hey, let's um, give Brother Osei, um, again, I want to thank you for spending your day off and devoting some of your time to what I feel like is a very important uh, topic uh, to discuss. But is there anything before you leave us that that you would like to uh, leave on the listeners' minds? 
Yeah, well, um, you, you say it's my day off, and yeah, it's my day off for my day job, but there is no days off under the system of racism and white supremacy. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. It's a very constructive uh, uh, show. Um, I appreciate the uh, platform that you provide, and uh, salute to you. Um, just check out 21stCenturyRaceMan.com, um, and if you're not on BTR Community, get on it. All right. Thank you, Brother Osei. And you stay safe behind these enemy lines as much as you can. You as well. Appreciate you, and I appreciate the calls. Thank you. All right. Well, one other thing that I said I was going to touch upon, I'm going to take a break. Um, and if I had to go th- uh, over two hours, you know, I can go up to three hours, actually up to five hours before the conference line to cut off on me. Um, but, um, one thing I wanted to talk about the logical fallacies and, and just promoting logical deduction. Now, one of the things that people have used to say that the slave uh, trade never happened, they say, well, where are the slave ships? And I'm like, man, all you, you got the Internet. You got access to all this information. So why you didn't put that question in a search engine? And it would have took you to a wealth of information. The last, the the quote unquote last slave ship, which they found, which came after so-called slavery was outlawed. But again, the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery. But after the pre that period of slavery was so-called abolished, there's a ship called the Clotilda. And there was a famous um, there. Uh, what's her name? Neil Zerst Hurston, the famous black female writer. Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston actually interviewed the victim um, who was on that ship, and uh, he later got his freedom. And his ancestors still live in Mississippi, but they actually found the remains of that ship. These are some wealthy white men who didn't need to bring, it was like a bet. This is how sick some people are. Okay, they out. They so-called outlaw the international slave trade, so I bet you a dollar that I can take a ship over there and get some Africans from the king, king uh, kingdom of the homie and bring them back here. And that's what they did. And they tried to burn the ship to cover up the evidence of what they had, had done. And so... There is evidence they found wreckage under the sea off the coast of Africa that still have some of the shackles and stuff and bones uh, in, in that. And again, I would say, why would Africans themselves who have turned these these um, uh, castles and stuff, these way stations, turn them into monuments and, and, and you know, are saying... Uh, uh, getting tourists to come over here and view this, you know? And why is Ghana offering African-Americans dual citizenship in their country as a form of reparations? What about these ship manifests? What I'm saying to you people is, is that some of these people are just ignoring evidence. It's called confirmation bias. It means I'm going to ignore all evidence that's contrary to my beliefs or what I'm pushing to you. So uh, again, that is not logical deduction. It is not logical reasoning. And if we apply these things and we're being objective and honest, there's plenty of evidence that it, it, that it happened. Just like there's plenty of evidence 
that slavery was never abolished. Um, I do need to take a station identification break and a music break before I do that. Um, did anybody have a comment before we transition to this story about Kanye West? Uh, Brother Scotty, can I just chime in with something quickly? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that that whole, like you said, there's way too much information out there. There's much information about them dismantling ships to create some of their houses when they got here. And then just the fact that it's wood and wood isn't really designed to last permanently. And when they do find wood from like canoes and stuff like that, it's usually petrified if it survives at all. And then um, just to tie into what you said about Ghana, um, yeah, I mean, you have the memory of these people being taken from the areas of, uh, in Africa where you find the castles and in the surrounding region. So that just makes no sense, number one. And number two, my family's a descendant of those people. My grandmother, she was originally from Dominica. And she migrated with her mother to Trinidad when she was about six years old. She is a black Carib. What they are are indigenous Native Americans, Carib Indians, who actually took in slaves from that were brought in and escaped. And they most and where she came from, it was Ghanaian specifically. My grandmother actually spoke Ghanaian, <laughs> so. Um, a language from Ghana, I believe it was um, the Akan, because my father went to school with, with a guy, and the guy was talking to another Ghanaian, and he said, my, my grandmother speaks in this language, and he was like, I mean, my mother, and he was like, oh, wow, and she, they had a conversation about it. So, yeah, just the whole concept of that doesn't make sense, and there's just way too much evidence, and even here, when they talk about different rebellions, and they can tell you what tribe the leaders of right, the rebellion right. came from. You know, and I've even heard some some people who call themselves Aboriginal even commandeer some of these rebellions and say that these were Native Americans when it's documented these people are African, where they came from, and and their different cultural practices and even linguistics that remain with them, where you can prove these people are African, but yet you'll hear some like you said confirmation bias. They'll just commandeer it and say, yes, this is this is this is my thing. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Re- I'll reinterpret that, but it. I just wanted to chime in with that. Thank you so much, good brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you um, for um, adding to the dialogue. So I'm going to take a station identification break and uh, play some music, um, just one music track while I heat up my coffee. And then when we come back on the other side, I want to talk about uh, Kanye West. Um, He's getting a backlash that is just, it doesn't make any sense. The man is speaking the truth. Has he spoke some stuff that wasn't true? Or was he repeating some things that we hear from racist suspects that they then pay other victims of racism and slavery to repeat? Yes, he said those things. But like Malcolm X said, you know, I'm for the truth no matter who tell it. Okay? And if a, the, the truth stands alone, I think, is another saying. Okay, it it doesn't matter who's saying it. Examine what they're saying and see if there's any merit to what they're saying. Don't dismiss it just because you don't like who's saying it. Okay, so we'll talk about this story of Kanye West uh, uh, bringing up the 13th Amendment and the fact that slavery was never abolished and just all the vitriol and hate directed his way when he's in fact telling the truth and it's documented truth all right you're listening to black talk radio news here on the black talk radio network we are i think i haven't seen anybody else um 
uh, contest this fact, but we are the largest independent black digital radio and podcasting network in the world. And you can continue to help us stay online by making a donation to the North Carolina-based nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. No, it really isn't. Because, see, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black, which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white, even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing and people immediately start taking sides it's not about taking sides based on black and white it's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice because that's what you're really aiming for being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice and being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice except you mean and you believe in non-justice and that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are, or who your cousin was, or anything like that, or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they take pride in being an Englishman, or take pride in being a Frenchman, or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice, because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And, and waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. Freestyle. Free like birds and trees, free like open seas, free like the change of seasons. And that is the reason we need to stop killing American soldiers without a reason. Freestyle, fighting a war for money control and America's own treason. Disloyal to our own, but we go to other nations and we make their houses our homes. What about our homes? What about our houses? In this war that ain't about you, ain't about me, and damn sure ain't about America's civil liberties. Because we got Americans dying behind gunfights, crooked cops, babies crying, presidents lying, black men and statistic aids, and this shit is quite twisted. The streets sweep, babies missing, and mamas wishing they daddies was there and it makes me want to holler because it seems like we no longer care freestyle free life freeing the street soldiers from this war in progress because it's on the street too and it too is about greed and power we need the government to wake up and take a true shower we need us to get us free because they don't know what's best probably ain't never seen seven-year-old little boys wearing bulletproof vests to protect their chest because ghetto children run free and they run free through free bullets that's ready to rip through chest free bullets ready to lay to rest anyone in their way see free bullets run free through playgrounds where ghetto children run free all day freestyle let me awake to see the day when I am free like birds that fly high up in the sky Flapping wings able to elevate While my mind accumulates thoughts of being free Cause my voice is not free like freedom of speech should be Freestyle, freestyle, freestyle. Like a spoiled child with well-to-do parents. Like not only being royal, but standing and planning as the heir apparent. That's, That's how it should, should be. be. Freestyle. Without FCC sons of piles calling out files. Or free like anarchy in the streets and the rippling roars of the crowds. Like taxi drivers do rules written in stone. Freestyle the way the FBI can tap all our phones. Free to be me and do whatever I want to do. And freestyle so they can be them and you can be you. I 
want mine totally, completely, absolutely, unconditionally free. No rules or regulations of what could, should, or might happen or what they be. No values claimed, no limits to the game, no special names you need to know to get in. No chains, leashes, leases, or theses on how far I can take my journey or what criteria this poet needs to fill a fit in. Free to see glass ceilings shattered and the shards sent to the discard pile. Full free style. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Freestyle. Never repressing my thoughts, locking my words, stressing the verbs. And now because my speech is not free like the wind that blows, it's supposed liberation throughout this tri tired ass nation. While I sit on rooftops reading the alphabet versus the ghetto and screaming out, Don't die, civil liberties. Don't die. Hoping my voice is heard through the nation's mountaintops. And the Emancipation Proclamation said I was free over 200 years ago, but my soul still don't feel so. While the Statue of Liberty presents a false reality of freedom more fake than reality TV, because she just does not reflect me. My voice locked up and locked inside my body Without words, I can never be free So I look at myself and try not to see myself As a nigga they wanted me to be Free like birds is what I wish to be No longer picking cotton on your plantation My arms tired, my legs weak Feeling like my life has succumbed to your damnation And without justification it seems I have become a slave to hip-hop beats and rhythm nation Ignorance spoken at its highest height Played on every radio station Cause they think that should be tight Rocking expensive clothes We calling ourselves bitches and hoes And we think we free shit We more oppressed than I ever guessed Soul searching, looking for Spiritual salvation while listening to outcast liberation, trying to break the chains of enslavement and mental degradation. Freestyle like running in the nights, trying to find the light in the window, reaching for our foundation so we can start a new creation. Freestyle like freeing words of the good book that have been brought to translation and freeing me from all accusation from this nation. Cause it seems like I've vented all my frustration in this poem that I've called Freestyle. My lyrical libation. Freestyle. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Like imagination, creation, and blindly breaking through borders the way love does. A self-organization of things as if every nation had wings It could fly through the sky like a dove does Free to live, free to give, free to dream the dreams of a potential prince Free like the freedom we had way back in Eden And have yet to see it since Free like common sense, free like death No fickle favorites anywhere to be found Even if you look at every book, behind every tree Or under every little rock on the ground Freedom like light, sight, and sound Like sunshine and moonlight And the promises of the Christ Unfettered by the weather The laws of Caesar's treasures Or somebody's man-made price Freedom flow like ice Freestyle, that's how it should be Priceless like faith, belief, and man's free will Free to know what it all means, where it all goes And how, how, how it all feels Free to know what's really real Free for me to know the damn deal Free like a mother's silver tears, like a father's groundless fears. Free to be shared everywhere, like pain, shame, suffering, and war. The freedom to always do just a little bit more. Freestyle like what we've all been dying for. Freestyle. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines that I call USA Inc., where slavery is still codified in the supreme law of the land that they call the Constitution. That was our resident abolitionist, member of the Black Talk Radio Network family, world-renowned spoken word artist, Max Parthis, and with New, new uh, how you pronounce her name? Nuishi. Nuishi on the track Freestyle. That's one of my favorite tracks of Max Parthis, but of course, you know that. All right, so I want to transition. I'm, I want I link to this article on Deadline.com. 
So I found out this morning that Kanye West had mentioned the 13th Amendment. And so I was like, okay, I got a little bit confused because one of the articles said that he had or suggested, it was on TMZ, suggested that he brought it up during his SNL rant, which I 100% disagree with his rant about, you know, blacks always voting for Democrats and and, you know, saying how, and some of the stuff is historically correct and it may be factually correct, but there are some nuances to that. The Republican Party is far from being the abolitionist party, the slavery abolitionist party that it was founded of. And there were ideological shifts. Um, you know, y'all heard that thing called the Southern Strategy um, under Nixon and what have you. So just because, uh, um, you know, you got a party called the Democratic Party back in the 1800s that was supporting the Ku Klux Klan and, and you know, uh, the party of Jim Crow and what have you. Look, hundreds of years passed, the people change, and then the platforms also change. So I disagree with his rants and stuff and just repeating these right wing talking points. But again, if he speaks some truth, then the truth stands alone. And he has spoken some truth about the 13th Amendment. And this isn't the first time that Kanye has talked about slavery in America. People forget years ago, I forget the exact year, but he had this track called New Slave, New Slaves. And in this track, he not only talked about Jim Crow segregation, but he talked about modern day slavery and human trafficking as manifested through the private prisons. He named the CCA, which is now known as Core Civic, but back then it was known as the Correction Corporation of America. People like to say it's the United States' largest private prison in slavery, but it's the largest private prison in slavery in the world, okay? And then he also mentioned the GEO Group. The GEO Group is the second largest private prison in slavery in the world, and I think it's important to point out um, the world because slavery is being practiced all over the world. And especially in Geo's case, they're running the entire prison system of Australia. Okay. So this is still a global problem that we're dealing with legalized uh, slavery through the prisons as, as prescribed by the 13th amendment. So let me go to this deadline article and cause it talks about and documents some of the knee jerk reactions uh, by celebrities and in Aust- this is what the um, title says Kanye West clarifies abolish the 13th amendment tweet celebs and media react um, so you know this deadline this is one of those celebrity Hollywood uh, type websites or platforms and what have you and of course, you know, a lot of people on the left, which is associated in Hollywood, um, they don't like Donald Trump. And for good reason, I might add, you know. Um, but because Kanye West is a confused victim of slavery and racism, um, he he likes Donald Trump and he promotes Donald Trump, which back in the 80s and 90s, a lot of rappers idolized Donald Trump because of the commercialization a rap which pushed it towards materialism and and not 
you know, uh, pointing out some of the problems of our oppression and what have you. So I'm going to read the article. It's very short. Kanye West continues to be Kanye West. After making a pro-Trump speech during Saturday Night Live, the MAGA cap-wearing rapper sent a message of love suggesting that we abolish the 13th Amendment. If he was looking for more attention, he certainly got it. In his initial tweet, West said that his hat represents good and America becoming whole again, he added. We will no longer outsource to other countries. We build factories here in America and create jobs. We will provide jobs for all who are free from prisons as we abolish the 13th Amendment. Message sent with love. About an hour later, he realized what he just tweeted and started to walk back on his comments. I wouldn't say he walked them back. I say he clarified his comments. The 13th Amendment, this is his, his tweet, clarifying what he said. The 13th Amendment is slavery in disguise, meaning it never ended. We are the solution that heals, he clarified. He then went on to say he uh, that we need to amend the 13th Amendment. We apply everyone's opinions to our platform, he added. It didn't take too long for people to respond, obviously. Now, these are the celebrities that they mentioned. Captain America himself, you know, the guy that plays Captain America, the actor, Chris Evans tweeted, there's nothing more maddening than debating someone who doesn't know history, doesn't read books, and frames their myopia as virtue. The level of unapologetic conjecture I've encountered lately isn't just frustrating, it's retrogressive, unprecedented, and absolutely terrifying. Now, I tweeted at Mr. Captain America, uh, Chris Evans, and I said, apparently, you need to do some research, and you don't know the history of slavery in this continent, on this continent. And I tweeted to him uh, a screenshot of the 13th Amendment. Currently, I tweeted to him the screenshot of the 13th Amendment of what it would look like if we took some white out to it and removed the exception clause. I tweeted to him an image of the book cover, Slavery by Another Name by uh, uh, Professor Blackman. And I tweeted uh, uh, one of the images that Ava DuVernay used for her documentary, The 13th. Of course, Mr. Captain America did not reply. Then atypical star Michael Rappaport called West out as well. When you say we, you're talking about Kendall and them, right? Because you're not speaking for anyone else up in here. Now, I tweeted at him too. I tweeted at him the same images, um, I, but I forget what I said to him. Anyway, then Soledad O'Brien, who I have a history with, not to suggest that I'm in regular contact with her, but she interjected herself into an argument, or you could call it a debate, argument, whatever, that I had with Tim Wise when he, he said on, on Facebook, I suppose that a person has the right to stand in the middle of Times Square and yell niggers, nigger at people. And I told him, you absolutely do not have that right. The First Amendment does not give you that right. The First Amendment talks about the government shall make no laws suppressing the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. But you don't have a right to go out here and yell fighting words at people. Okay? And and you could be and I even wrote an article about it documenting different cases where people were charged with crimes for calling people niggers. 
you know, crimes like disturbing the peace and, and, and other things. You know prosecutors can get creative when they want to enforce something. Um, so so she's going to say, well, he's right in whatever. And I, I, So that's my history with Soledad O'Brien, who actually follows Black Talk Radio for some reason. So if she follows Black Talk Radio and has been doing so at least since 2015, then... She's certainly seen tweets of new abolitionist radio. Perhaps she hasn't taken the opportunity to actually listen to the program or the podcast. So this is what she said to Kanye on Twitter. Soledad O'Brien didn't hold back and slam West. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. Re-upping this from the last time at ye is truly an idiot. Message sent with distaste for idiocy. So... Let me pull up what I I, I tweeted at uh, Miss O'Brien. Um, let me just y'all just bear with me and pull it up. And I asked people in our Move to Abolish 21st Century group on Facebook to retweet this, and you know we got close to 5,000 members. I wish we could have got 5,000 tweets to amplify or retweets to amplify the message. But this is what I said to. Um, Miss O'Brien, okay, let me let me pull it up. Um, come on, Twitter. Help me out here. Okay, Twitter's kind of dragging on me. Um, but again, I did tweet the same images of what the 13th Amendment says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime. So this is what I tweeted at, at Soledad O'Brien. Perhaps you missed the recent prison strike where this was brought up. Maybe you missed Ava DuVernay's 13th documentary on Netflix. Perhaps you never read Slavery by Another Name. Perhaps you owe Kanye West an apology, hashtag Amend 13. So again, I I tweeted the images of the 13th Amendment uh, from her uh, Ava's documentary and from Mr. Blackman's book, Slavery by another name and I particularly single out Soledad O'Brien because she went to school for journalism okay so why didn't she do any kind of investigative journalism or investigation into the 13th amendment before she called Kanye an idiot all right then it says legend uh, now I didn't see this one I think they changed this article uh legends of tomorrow star Brandon Roof chimed in as well. Advice of the day, stop following Kanye West. He's a constant contradiction. The fact that he has 28 million followers might do well to clear your headspace of his incoherence. So again, none of these people actually citing the 13th Amendment obviously didn't read the 13th Amendment or they wouldn't be all up in their feelings and ignorance. And the fact that he does have 28 million followers, I call that a win for the new abolitionist movement that he even has people talking about the 13th Amendment. So hopefully the followers of the celebrities that trash Kanye's factual statement about the 13th Amendment, hopefully their followers aren't a bunch of uh, celebrity worshipers or idolaters and actually did pull up the 13th Amendment themselves. But judging from some of the comments, no, they didn't. Okay, now, 
The Washington Post, however, took a different tack. And I link to this article in the program description because it contains some great information. And I'm going to read it. It's not very, very long. And this was published in their morning mix by Megan Flynn. Wrapping aside, aside, Kanye West did what Kanye West does best on Sunday afternoon. He thoroughly confused and outraged much of the internet at the commenting cryptically on a highly sensitive topic without explaining himself. The matter in, in question this time, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which abolished slavery. West was, oh yeah, I forgot, they didn't include... Um, the tweet from Solar Dad saying the 13th Amendment actually abolished slavery and he wants to abolish that amendment. So going back to the article, West was fresh off an appearance on Saturday, Saturday Night Live, which didn't air the Trump praising speech that West made at the end of the show while wearing a red mega hat. On Sunday, he hopped on Twitter to spread his mega support again, posting a tweet that showed him sporting the red hat in it. He called for the abolition of the 13th Amendment. Needless to say, the context was confusing. This represents good and America becoming whole again, he wrote. We will no longer outsource to other countries. We will provide jobs for all who are free from prisons as we abolish the 13th Amendment. Message sent with love. Outrage ensued, meaning people got in their feelings. Abolish the abolition of slavery, huh? West clarified. He just meant we should amend the amendment, not abolish it. The 13th Amendment is slavery in disguise, meaning it never ended. We are the solution that, that heals. So let us ask this possibly dicey question. What exactly was Kanye trying to say? There is a fair chance he was referring to what's called the 13th Amendment's exception clause, as many speculated on Twitter. It's the part of the amendment that literally allows slavery and involuntary servitude to continue across the country on plantations and within the barbed wire fences of prisons. Scholars and prisoners advocates argue that its impact is still felt today through prison labor. Here's the full wording of the amendment, which, again, none of these people criticizing Kanye bothered to look up to see if there was any merit to what he was saying. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, which Otis has pointed out to me, that duly doesn't mean justly or rightly convicted, because we know all the wrongful convictions that have landed people in prison slavery. But it goes on to say, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. The amendment was the first of the three Reconstruction Amendments passed in the aftermath of the Civil War, designed to extend constitutional rights to African Americans and former slaves, including citizenship and equal protection under the law in the 14th, which, as we pointed out last week on New Abolitionist Radio, has its own exception clause that allows the continued disenfranchisement of people convicted of felony crimes. And as well, it goes on to say, in voting rights in the 15th. The 14th Amendment recently celebrated its 150th anniversary, but it was muted, in part because it took more than a century of oppression of black, blacks before it had any serious impact, scholars say. Meaning, like I was saying earlier, that you can put something in law 
you can make it just a part of the supreme law of the land, but if there's no enforcement, it's like the law don't even exist. So even though they passed the the um you know giving voting rights and citizenship to the former victims of slavery and extending you know voting rights to even the free black people, um you know it wasn't being enforced by the federal government. The states were left to their own devices, which came they came up with Jim Crow, which spread to northern states as well. So anyway, it goes on to say the 13th Amendment was proposed in part because of well-founded fears that the Supreme Court might nullify Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. But the exception clause of the 13th Amendment was a convenient sleight of hand, said Dennis R. Childs, an associate professor at the University of California at San Diego and author of, and I'm going to have to get this book, Slaves of the State. Black incarceration from the chain gang to the penitentiary. Prisoners have been protesting this clause for decades. Again, Lee Wood, um, we interviewed him about two weeks ago. I referred to him as the father of the new abolitionist movement because in his book, uh, Prison Slavery, he points out the 13th Amendment, and I think that book was published in the 1970s, and then uh, another edition was published early 1980s, okay? Um, so he's correct. Prisoners have been protesting this clause for decades, as Mr. Wood um, expressed on New Abolitionist Radio. He was sitting in a study session in prison with other prisoners when the 13th Amendment came up, and it, he was like, Wait a minute, read that again. And that and then that's when he discovered the exception clause. All right. So it goes on to say prisoners have been protesting this clause for decades in August. Prisoners in 17 states launched a three-week strike to protest being forced to work for meager wages in contemptible conditions, all of which they trace to the 13th Amendment's exception clause. Last year, advocates for prisoners launched a March on Washington, in which they call for the end of pr- prison slavery. You know what? And, and I know Max is going to want to chime in. This is the first time in a mainstream media publication, corporate news publication, that I have seen the March in, on Washington, D.C., which was known as the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March. This is the first time I've seen it even cited. Okay, and, and you know, again, Black Talk Media Project uh, paid for the PA system, and and um, our donors also paid for our Carolina contingent of abolitionists to be able to make the trip, paid for our travel and our lodging in Washington D.C. Um, so I, I didn't even notice that. Uh, and then it goes on to say, and perhaps most popularly. In 2016, the acclaimed Oscar-nominated documentary 13, directed by Ava DuVernay, traced the exception clause from the era of convict leasing after the Civil War when prisoners were forced to work for private plantation owners to today's system of mass incarceration and prison labor. They wasn't just being leased back out to the plantation owners, but they were also being forced to work in the mines. They were also forced to work on the railroads, like, you know, people talk about how Chinese immigrants built the railroad, not just Chinese immigrants, not just Irish immigrants, but black victims of 13th Amendment slavery as well. Okay, 
Uh, there's a reason why this was written into law, child said. They needed to have a legal cover for re-enslavement. And the best way to do that was to use African-Americans' poverty, landlessness, joblessness, their collective dispossession in the Jim Crow legal system as an excuse to re-enslave that population. At the time, this is very important, at the time, Congress debated the amendment. Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts, the anti-slavery Republican, spoke out forcefully against allowing slavery to continue through the penal system, urging that the Senate Judiciary Committee, you know those people that just voted to confirm or to advance Brett Kavanaugh's uh, Supreme Court nomination to the full Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee. So he was telling them back in the, in 1864 to revise the language to remove that part, the exception clause. But nobody seemed to hear him out. As some, and I'm going to tell you why they refused to hear him out. Because Lincoln never intended to end slavery. He also stated he didn't have a constitutional power to end slavery. That's why the Emancipation Proclamation was issued as a wartime, um, uh, what, did, what did they call that? Executive order. And he still believed, even after the Civil War and the North had won, he still thought that I can't, you know, legally slavery can't exist. So in order to bring the North and the South back together in this unholy union. That was his compromise was the exception clause. And nobody, it seems, but Senator Charles Sumner had the audacity to say, wait a minute, y'all pulling a fast one here. Y'all going to still be practicing slavery uh, with this clause in the 13th Amendment. So let me continue. As Sumner noted during floor debates in 1864, the exact language of the 13th Amendment can be traced to the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, which outlawed slavery in the Northwest Territory except as a punishment for crime. Back when there were no prisons. But why abide by last century's code of human indecency? Sumner wondered. Now, it's, it's quoting Sumner. This is his exact words. Now, unless I err, there is an implication from those words that men may be enslaved as a punishment of crimes whereof they have been duly convicted, he said. There was a reason, I have said, for at the time, 1787, for I understand that it was the habit in certain parts of the country to convict persons or doom them as slaves for life as a punishment for crime and it was not proposed to prohibit this habit but slavery in our day is something distinct perfectly well known requiring no words of distinction outside itself he's actually talking about what we just got through discussing uh what language should we use what should we should we differentiate between chattel slavery or just call it slavery mass incarceration so he he was saying that slavery the institution we're talking about is so well known that it doesn't require any kind of other distinction we know what it is he goes on to say to my mind the words in the exception clause are entirely surplus surplusage that's a word i'm going to have to look up 
I guess it means it's just extra that doesn't need to be there, as in surplus. All right, so we're dealing with 1800 language here, English language. Um, he said they do no good. He's talking about the exception clause, the, the 14 words of the exception clause. He says they do no good there, but they absolutely introduce a doubt. He proposed new language, but the Senate Judiciary Committee didn't want it. Here's Sumner's proposed 13th Amendment that never was. All persons are equal before the law, so that no person can hold another as a slave. And, the, and Congress shall have the power to make all laws necessary and proper to carry this declaration into effect everywhere within the United States and jurisdiction thereof. Sumner got his told you so moment in the years after the amendment's passage, Child said, when states started using the 13th Amendment to re-enslave people convicted of crimes for a term of years, selling them at auction to the highest bidder, most notoriously in the southern states, tens of thousands of people, overwhelmingly black, were leased by the state to plantation owners, privately owned railroad yards, coal mines, and road building chain gangs, and made to work under the whip from dusk till dawn, often as punishment for petty crimes such as vagrancy or theft. He goes on to quote, this is Robert Perkinson, um, who teaches at the University of Hawaii, who has studied the convict leasing system extensively. He said the 13th Amendment's exception clause allowed the convict leasing system to flourish and grow. Thousands lost their lives in the process, and it was hugely profitable for state governments. It was an important part of the establishment of the Jim Crow segregationist system, and it served as a blueprint for the harsh retributionist imprisonment that became tragically the dominant form of American incarceration all the way into the 21st century. Now it goes on and um, goes to talk about Kanye again, but I'm going to leave it there. So, shout out to the Washington Post writer for documenting this factual history that apparently a lot of people are not aware of because no fault of their own, they did not learn in school curriculum when they were in school, and but at the same time, when you become an adult, and especially in the information age with access to the internet and access to these very things, um, there's no excuses. You're engaged in willful ignorance. That's what you're engaged in. Or more sinisterly, you are just trying to deny this fact because you want slavery through the prisons to continue on because you're profiting from it. That's what I got to say on that. I want to jump to the phone lines if anybody has any questions or comments. I'm going to go to Max Parthas first, um, my abolitionist comrade, co-host, and co-producer of New Abolitionist Radio. Max, what are your thoughts? Uh, man, you said so much. It's kind of hard for me to like focus on any particular part. I'd say a few things. Uh, I'd rather quote Frederick Douglass. And he said, slavery, like all other great systems of wrong, founded in the depths of human selfishness and existing for ages, 
has not neglected its own conservation. It has steadily exerted an influence upon all around it favorably to its own continuance. That's Frederick Douglass after Reconstruction. He had told us this was happening from the very beginning. He was one of the only abolitionists. So here we are, 400 years into the slavery thing, and this is the conditions. It's very much streamlined, that's for sure. And one of the things that came up in the conversation earlier here today was about the difference between slavery, of the chattel slavery versus what we have today within this prison system. And I've talked about that in detail on a number of media outlets, but the main thing about the difference to me is that during the period of uh, antebellum uh, slavery, prior to the Civil War, you could own someone for life. You could own their children and children that were yours. But here in this new streamlined slavery, you can be a slavery for five years or ten years, long your sentences, and then you go back to the community without your rights, you can be re-enslaved again at any time. It's very much like a temporary slave, where they own your body 100% and do anything they want to and with you, but then after 10 years, you get to go home again. Yeah, yeah, and it's temporary, but also, it also explains why all of a sudden, you know, somebody who who engages in a nonviolent, victimless drug crime, never before been in trouble, gets life in prison on his first offense. These are actual cases. And so when you talk, you can't talk about the long prison sentences and talking about reforming that without talking about it in the context of slavery today. And why do you push, there was a political push for these long sentences for quote unquote petty crime or nonviolent crimes? Yes. Yes, Scotty. And, um, and Max, I can't find it. You may have it memorized, but what was the quote by Frederick Douglass about the snake shedding his skin? Uh, yes, I, I have it uh, available near. Let me uh, pull it up. I'll read it for you. Okay. Um, yeah, but um, even Frederick Douglass, when the Emancipation Proclamation was passed, and then later after the Civil War, and he toured the South, and he called it a stupendous fraud. Now you might you might know why Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln had a had a a volatile relationship, because Frederick Douglass knew he was full of crap. He had no intention of ending slavery, and he never did. Max, go ahead. The quote is, "It's not called slavery, but some other name. It has been fruitful, in giving herself name." And it call itself by yet another name. And you and I and all of us had better wait and see what new form this old monster will assume and what new skin this old snake will come forth. Frederick Douglass. And you know, Harriet, and back what he said with a simple statement, she said, never wound a snake, kill it. Right, right, right. Cut his head off which metaphorically um, would represent us removing that exception clause from the 13th Amendment. Because again, this is the supreme law of the land. And I mean, why would all these other states adopt that language in their state constitutions? Okay? 
So, exactly, Scotty. You and I and our listeners are some of the most helpful people on the subject because for the opening seven years, we studied it every week, and you and I been there every day. So we've uncovered some amazing things, like the discussion we had just last week. I'm hoping that this Wednesday, Kanye West will pick up his phone and call into New Abolitionist Radio and get some exposure to the New Abolitionist Radio and Black Radio Network will help to push this idea even further than he could have imagined. But he's got to stop going to these white media stations and come show some love to the black media stations. Um, I'm in agreement there. Now, let me say this. I don't like some of the things that Kanye West has said. Okay. Um, I think that some of these right wing proxy racists have gotten their hooks in him. And, you know, I, I just don't agree with, with the stuff that he's repeating because we've heard it for decades. And this comment he made on the SNL uh, after his show talking about, you know, um, well, he didn't say that. He said it in another format. He said that if racism was a problem, I would have been left the United States or moved out the United States. Um, now, he could have been saying if it had affected me personally, I hope he's not uh, buying into the David R. Clark, um, you know, statement that, hey, uh, racism is a thing of the past or whatever. But I can disagree with him on everything else. But I got to stand with him on the 13th Amendment because I'm not really standing with Kanye. I'm standing with the truth. Right. Okay. Or parties. It's about the issue. The issue is true. And you know, you got to give some credit to Kanye West because on at least three occasions, he has created necessary national dialogue. When he said George Bush don't like black people during Hurricane Katrina, damn sure what Austin Powers who said it, it was Kanye West. And then again, when he came out with new slaves, talking about the IA teamed up with the CCA to make new slaves. That created a national conversation, that, that's, and it led, in his own personal progression, along with us, to abolition, Amendment 13. And then when he put that out there, 20 million people immediately were exposed to the abolitionist ideals in one single day. I don't know what everybody else is doing, but I call that a success. I call it a, a, a success as well for the abolitionist movement. And in fact, Kanye is declaring himself a new abolitionist. See? He, he's right up there in the ranks of other superstars like Georgia Me, uh, Tony Award winning Georgia Me, who's also an abolitionist. Shout out to, to my sister, Timothy Harper. Well. But yeah, man, we need to get on board and on board and start talking about the issue that will solve the problem. The in-depth conversation right here today with you, Scotty Reed, with the problem. What is the source issue and how can we address it to solve these problems? We're focusing a lot on what many perceive like us symptoms. But at some point, we're going to have to address the actual cause of all of what Yeah. And I'm not going to get into some of the negativity that I've seen. Um, people wasting my time with buckets of words and saying we don't need to mess around with the 13th Amendment and what does this have to do with descendants of slaves? Uh, um, well, it, I mean, if you don't understand 
how the continuation of slavery, how that has an impact of the descendants of pre-American Civil War slavery, I, I really don't know what to say to you. So I'm not going to focus on all that negativity, but I'm going to focus on the positivity of the truth being put out to millions of people worldwide that, yet again, slavery was never abolished. Okay? So thank you, Kanye West, as I expressed to him in a tweet for putting the 13th Amendment back in the spotlight. Max, I'm going to get ready to close it out. Does anybody else have any questions or comments before I uh, uh, close out BTR News? Now is the time to get it in. 704-802-5056. Hit star, star to unmute yourself. Max, did you have any final comments before I go to the next caller? Yes, I would like to address that same crowd that you just talked about a minute ago. You know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again while expecting new results. Where are the people here for something to do that has never been done in this country since 1865? You might want to give us a little bit of credit and assistance. And I'm going to finish it with a quote by James Baldwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Scotty. Peace. Okay, um, I'm going to go to Otis next. Otis, did you have a question or comment? Yes, Scotty. The only thing I'd like to say is we have to find a way to coordinate our tweets because I had about six hours of them yesterday, and I hit some of the same people you did, Soledad O'Brien, J. Cole, uh, Ice-T, and quite naturally, uh, Kanye, too. And I sent him a lot of links to Black Talk Radio Network, Max, some of Max's work on Prismatic Dreams. But we have to find a way to marshal whatever willing BRT community people we have. I don't know if maybe you can link up and send them out to the ones you know when we start this thing. But we got to make use of this while the irons are really hot. I, I would just say, Otis, like, you know, we got moved to abolish 21st century slavery. We got members of the BTR community. When we ask, when we humbly ask or request that you retweet something, it's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of the abolitionist movement because if you understand how social media uh, works, you are helping to amplify a message and get it in front of more people. So I have to say, when we put those requests out, please, please just take less than 30 seconds for you to retweet it, maybe 60 seconds, okay? Just, just you know, just follow up. It's going to take action, okay? Right. Um, the so, only thing I was going to say is we need to get people to also turn on notifications when they come to certain articles because that helps. I, I would tell Max uh, the other day, my Twitter normally sets around 1,500 impressions. I got over 3,500 after I started tweeting uh, Kanye. And I've also ran into about 10 different abolitionists that listened to BTR, and I had no no idea they were out there. Wow. Thank you, Otis. Um, Ross, um, you seem to be the last caller. Did you have a question or comment? Uh, yes, I did have a comment. I was thinking in reference to uh, Soledad O'Brien, Michael Rappaport, 
and uh, the guy who played Captain America. Um, to me, that's a great example of what Goebbels said to, to Hitler. He said, actually, Hitler, uh, history is a lie agreed upon. I would say the truth is a lie agreed upon. And it just really goes to show how successful repetition of something that isn't true is, even to the point of cognitive dissonance. Because for you to post all the information you posted, proving everything Kanye West said and everything that you and Max and um, Otis and everyone else said, and they still ignore it to go in on attacking Kanye West. And like you said, very, very properly, that's why you have to pay attention to conversations. They never address the truth and accuracy of what he said. They just tried to assault his intelligence and his character when he was actually speaking the truth. And that is the type of blindness that we see from, from some of our own people who just, no matter what you say, like you said, confirmation bias. If something just feeds their thoughts and ideas about something, no matter how inaccurate, they're going to latch onto it and, and maintain that as their truth, regardless of what you put in front of their face to verify everything that you are saying that contradicts what they believe to be true. And it's sad. But with that, I'll mute myself. Thank you, good brother. All right. Thank you, Ross. I want to go ahead and and say, you know, the abolitionist movement is here and we're not going anywhere until we finally cut the head off this snake of slavery that's being practiced in this country and worldwide, worldwide slavery. As you know, Americans uh, or people here in the United States love to export uh, their mistreatment to other countries and get them to follow that, that same model of mistreatment. So abolitionist movement is here. We're not going anywhere. And, you know, we just are following in the footsteps of our ancestors who devoted their lives to bringing an end to this human rights crime, because that's what it is, this human rights uh, violation called slavery. I want to thank Brother Olsay. Check out his blog, 21stCenturyRaceMan.com. I want to thank him for um, uh, talking to us today about his article and, you know, just the denialism that exists among victims, which I believe is rooted in PTSD. Um, it's rooted in anti-blackness and that, you know, people become so oppressed to the point that they don't, you know, they they come up with, with illogical fallacies to think that it's going to save them from the oppression. But if there was no oppression then you know they they wouldn't be displaying this mental this mental degradation and, and sickness. So it's not to blame them for the problem; it's to blame the system for the problem. We're just trying to understand where this where this incorrect information is coming from and what it's rooted in. Um, I want to thank everyone for chiming in on the um, various topics that we discuss. Um, this evening, lots of, of constructive and useful information was shared. I should be back on air tomorrow night with another broadcast of BTR News at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. God willing, nothing happened, and I'm able to do that broadcast. Uh, please continue to support all the programming on Black Talk Radio Network. Please, if you're able, make a, a financial contribution to the North Carolina-based nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, and you could also join btrcommunity.com. Recognize the fact that we live behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc., where slavery is still part of the supreme law of the land, and 
They are not going to stop practicing slavery willingly. So that means that it is on us, the primary victims, to bring an end to this atrocity. Peace and blessings to all. Y'all be safe out there.